Well, good morning, Church of the Redeemer. So glad you could connect with us again this Sunday morning for worship. Friends, as we come now to the preaching of God's Word, we are starting a new sermon series today on the book of 1 Thessalonians. I've entitled today's sermon, uh, 1 Thessalonians, a book of encouragement. Friends, there's so many encouraging things in this book, so many exhortations to the people of God. I'm excited to walk through this book with you as we go verse by verse through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians over the next few months. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open with me to 1st Thessalonians chapter 1. We're only going to read the first verse, verse 1. So 1st Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Hear now the written word of the living God. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. And as we come now to preach from 1 Thessalonians, may your blessings accompany the preaching of this word. Be with me, Father, as I strive to preach in a manner that's pleasing in your sight. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. Open the ears of our hearers today, Father, uh, at home, maybe around their TVs or computers or iPhones. And I pray, God, that your word would continue to go forth through these means. Bless this time, we pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. A book of encouragement. Friends, before we get into the, the meat of the sermon today, I want to give an introduction to this book and some background to first Thessalonians as we talk about this book of encouragement. So as we start, I want to I want to start with a story. And this is a story about encouragement. It was about 10 years ago, um, 2010. I was the defensive coordinator for a high school football team up in uh, Lake Norman at South Lake Christian Academy. And it was August and we decided to go off campus to do our fall football camp. And we went down to Black Mountain to Blue Ridge Assembly, and many of our men in the congregation probably remember Blue Ridge. We attended that uh, camp about a year and a half ago, Redeemer did, for our men's retreat. So it's the same camp um, that we went to, our football team went to it uh, in 2010. And uh, football camp was, was a tough camp. It, uh, you know, was sometimes we'd practice two or three days, or th- two or three times a, a day. And uh, that particular week, we had a player, um, his name was Troy, and Troy was a senior in high school. And Troy was a big guy. He was about 6'4", 275 pounds, a big, strong guy. Now, the thing you need to know about Troy is this. Uh, Troy had never played varsity football before. He had never been part of a fall football camp. And I say that because uh, you need to know, if you've never been to football camp, it's not the easiest thing you've ever done. Again, as I mentioned, you're practicing two to three times a day. You're in the heat. Uh, things are pretty physical. It's taxing on you, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally. And to do that for the first time, it's not an easy thing to do. And uh, as we got into that first day of practice, uh, Troy was having, having a rough time. Um, He was getting banged around and hit and uh, probably put through things he had never been put through before. 
and he actually got injured uh, that first day. Well, before we even knew it as coaches or uh, even as players, before we even knew anything, uh, we learned that Troy had actually called his dad and said, Dad, I'm done. This is it. I'm finished with football. This has been a terrible experience. Come to uh, Black Mountain. Pick me up. Get me out of here. Well, after Troy's dad had, had left uh, Charlotte to come pick up Troy, we learned about this as coaches and players. And we said, oh, no, we, we, we don't want this to happen. So we got with Troy as, as coaches and even some of the other seniors rallied around Troy. And we just started to encourage him. We said, Troy, we know that this was a, a tough day for you. We know that this is your first time being out here um, playing football like this. And we know you've had a rough day. But Troy, you can do this. Uh, stay the course. Persevere. You've got so many gifts and so many talents to do this. I know it's hard, but Troy, stay the course. Persevere. We want you to be part of this team. We need you to be part of this team. Well, uh, about an hour later, Troy's dad got there. And uh, Troy and his dad went off campus and, and they went to talk about what to do. And I thought, man, he's done. He's He's never coming back. Um, this is it for him. He's going home. Well, to Troy's credit, he came back and he talked to us as coaches and even some of the players and said, guys, thank you for your encouragement. Um, I'm staying. I'm going to stay. I'm going to work with you guys. I'm going to grind this out. I know today's been hard. Thank you for your encouragement. I'm going to stay and play football. Well, friends, let me take you to the end of the year and tell you the end of the story. By the end of that year, not only was Troy the best lineman on our team, but he was an all-state center. He made the all-star game here in Charlotte to play in the Shrine Bowl. And Troy anchored our offensive line, and he took us to the state semifinals that year in 2010. Friends, he could have quit. He could have given up. But through the encouragement of other people, his coaches and his teammates, God used that encouragement in his life, not only to help Troy, but to help that entire team. Now, friends, I tell you the story for this reason. Everybody needs encouragement. Everybody. Even the biggest, strongest player of the, on the team we all need encouragement. Well, friends, did you know that the Bible tells us that even the biggest, maybe the greatest missionary the Bible's ever talked about, the Apostle Paul, even Paul needed encouragement. Did you know that? Did you know that there was once a time in Paul's life where his heart and his affections were so burdened that he needed the refreshment of encouragement to, to move forward and to help his situation. Friends, let's talk about this story because I want you to know that this story sets the stage for the writing of this book, First Thessalonians. You know, as we read the book of Acts, we read the history of the early church. And Acts 16 says that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they set out on a missionary journey together. For Paul, it was his second journey. For 
uh, Silas and Timothy, it was their first. And the Bible says that that second missionary journey for Paul, man, it was filled with all kinds of hardship and trouble. In fact, Acts 16 at Philippi, we read that Paul and Silas, they were arrested, they were beaten, and they were put in prison. Their feet were even shackled uh, in, in the prison cells. And even after they got out of prison, the Bible says Paul had a confrontation with the police in Philippi, even the magistrates of the town. But then the next chapter, chapter 17, Paul and Silas, they go to Thessalonica. Now, a few moments ago, Hunter read the background text uh, that we're going to explain now. So try to remember the things that Hunter said from Acts 17 a minute ago as we talk about this situation. Because when Paul and Silas, they got to Thessalonica, it says that Paul was only able to speak with the people in the synagogues for three Sabbaths. So the missionaries were there for only about a month. They were there a short period of time. Now, in that short, short period, many people came to faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible said that Jews, many Greeks, and several ladies came to know Jesus as their Savior. But there was another group of Jews who decided to persecute the missionaries, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And the Bible says that they formed a mob, they set the city in uproar, and they attacked the home of a man named Jason. You see, Jason was one of the hosts of the missionaries. He was, he was giving them housing. And uh, the authorities of that town, they, they took Jason, they dragged him out in front of the authorities, the Jews did, and they even robbed him for his actions. And the Bible says that that night, Paul and Silas had to escape under the cover of night just to escape harm. It's a tough situation. Paul came from, uh, from Philippi and Thessalonica, but I want you to know something, friends, that Paul's affections for his flock at Thessalonica they never, ever went away. Paul loved that church at Thessalonica. He loved them so dearly. In fact, as you read 1 Thessalonians, Paul compares his affections to that of a nursing mother who is feeding her child. In this case, the child would be the church at Thessalonica. Paul says in this book that he's like a father who loves and encourages his children. So as any mother or father would do, Paul had concern. He had concern for his spiritual child, the church at Thessalonica. You see, he was only with them for a very short period of time, but he was ripped away from them because of this persecution. And like any nursing mother, like any good father, he was probably wondering several questions. He was probably asking, I wonder what's going on with my child. I hope my child is okay. I hope my child hasn't fallen into any trouble or been taken captive by someone else. You know, he just didn't know. He didn't know what was going on with the Thessalonians. He'd been ripped away. In fact, his concern was so great. The Bible says that when Paul, Silas, and Timothy, when they got to Athens, Paul said, Timothy, I need you to go back. 
I need you to go back to Thessalonica and please check on that church. I've got to know what's happening to my spiritual child at Thessalonica. In fact, the Bible says it this way in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and their labor would be in vain. Friends, can't you just hear the concern of a mother or father in the tone of that one verse? You see, Paul was so concerned about his flock, he was wondering what was going on while he was away from them. So he sends Timothy back, go check on my spiritual child, and Timothy, come tell me what you find. Well, after a while of waiting on Timothy. Timothy finally comes back, 1 Corinthians or 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 says. And it says when Timothy comes back, he brings a very encouraging report to the apostle Paul. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 3 verses 6 through 7 tell us the report that Timothy gives. It says, "But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through our faith. Friends, did you hear that? In the middle of distress, in the middle of much affliction, Paul says, I am comforted. I am encouraged because your faith, dear Thessalonians, is so strong. You could say that Paul was living out what Proverbs 12, 25 says, that anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Friends, as application to some of this as pastor here at Redeemer, I know we've been away from each other for, uh, you know, about six, seven weeks now in terms of Sunday mornings. And friends, I, believe it or not, I've been wondering what's going on with you and, and your faith, and I hope and pray that you're doing well. But one of the most encouraging things that I've received over the past couple weeks, and Megan Lynn shared this with me, I know many of our ladies here at Redeemer have been putting videos together uh, called Women's Consolations. And you've been sharing with each other how God has been at work with you and your family and how God is growing you and, and your family and His grace and His, and his knowledge. And uh, ladies, I want you to know that I've seen many of those videos and I thank you for sharing what the Lord is doing in your heart and your minds and your families over this period of time. I've been very encouraged uh, to hear uh, these words from you. So thank you for, for sharing that with your pastor. Um, and friends, as we look now back at this, this text here in 1 Thessalonians, I want you to know for the Apostle Paul... Uh, not only does he speak of his own encouragement, being encouraged by Timothy's report, but he also uses this opportunity to encourage and exhort his young congregation. 
In fact, if you search through this book, chapter 2, verse 11 says he, is, he encourages them to walk in a manner worthy of God. He encourages them in chapter 4, verse 18, about life after death. In chapter 5, verse 14, he encourages the church uh, to go out and encourage the faint-hearted. It's a book all about encouragement. But there's also many exhortations that Paul gives in this book that we're going to look at in a few weeks. He exhorts them concerning idleness and even sexual immorality, concerning the second coming of Christ and the dead in Christ rising, not quenching the Spirit, and friends, many, many other topics. So friends, I share all this as a word of introduction with you about this great book of 1 Thessalonians, a book of encouragement. Yet it's started with the Apostle Paul, the pastor, being encouraged by the church coming through Timothy to Paul. And Paul is so encouraged by the words from this church. In response, he writes this letter of encouragement right back to the Thessalonians. Well, friends, today we're going to look at just a few more things, and they all come from verse 1. Today there's three specific things from verse 1 I want to continue with as we uh, continue this sermon. Today I want you to see from verse 1, first of all, the three missionaries that are mentioned, secondly, the church that is in God, and then third and finally, God's grace and peace. But let's zoom in to verse 1 and talk about the three missionaries that he mentions. Again, you see the text, chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Just briefly, let's talk about each one of these missionaries who is sending this letter to Thessalonica. First of all, Paul. The Bible tells us that Paul was originally named Saul. He was born a Roman citizen in the city of Tarsus. And Scripture teaches us that Saul grew up in Tarsus and the city of Jerusalem. He was in a Jewish sect called the Pharisees. In fact, he was trained to be a Pharisee under Gamaliel, who at that time was a very, very famous Pharisee. We know that it was Paul's, or excuse me, at this point, Saul, it was Saul's zeal for the law that led him to persecute the church. Specifically, Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen. As Stephen was being stoned in Acts chapter 7, Saul stood there and was consenting, watching Stephen die. You see, Saul hated Christianity. And he wanted to persecute the church. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church when he was confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ. And through that experience, Saul became a Christian. His name was then changed to Paul. And as we know, God called Paul to be the great apostle, the missionary to the Gentile people. And Paul spent the rest of his life going on missionary journeys. In Acts chapter 13 through Acts chapter 21, we read of three missionary journeys that the Apostle Paul went on uh, living out his Christianity. And we've already learned that it was on this second journey that Paul encountered this church uh, at Thessalonica, helped start the church there. 
And uh, at the end of that second journey in Corinth, Paul decided to write this book, 1 Thessalonians, back to that church. In fact, we know that Paul wrote 13 books of the Bible, uh, from Romans to Philemon in your Bibles, were all authored by Paul. And we learn uh, at the end of uh, Acts that the Apostle Paul was arrested, finally, in Jerusalem. He was sent to prison in Caesarea for two years, and then he traveled by boat over to Rome, put put under Roman house arrest, where he waited on his trial. Well, the second missionary, Silas. Who is Silas? The Bible here calls him Silvanus. We know that is simply the Greek rendering of Silas. We first see Silas in the Bible in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council. The Bible describes Silas as one of the leading men at the church in Jerusalem. And after completion of the Jerusalem council, it was Silas who was sent along with Paul and Barnabas to the church at Antioch to spread the news about what happened at the Jerusalem council. Listen to this. Acts 15 describes Silas as a man who risked his life for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. How about that? In fact, Acts 15 says that Silas even encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Did you hear that? Silas was in the business of encouraging other people. We also know that Silas was ready to serve God. You see, we know that Barnabas went on that first missionary journey with Paul. But Paul and Barnabas separated ways, and Paul needed someone else to go with him on the second journey. Well, Silas raised his hand and said, Paul, I'll go with you. I'm going to use my gifts of evangelism and church planting. Paul, I have a readiness to, to get off the couch and get up and go with you on this second missionary journey. And I want you to know that, that Silas used those gifts. He used those gifts in Philippi when, when Lydia became a believer. When the Philippian jailer repented and believed upon Jesus Christ, Silas was a part of that. He even endured the persecutions with Paul, the beatings, the arrests, the chains. He even had to flee with Paul that night out of Thessalonica. The third missionary is Timothy. We know that as Paul and Silas set out on that second missionary journey, they went to a town called Lystra, where they met a young man named Timothy. And they learned of Timothy's background. They learned that his mother was a Jew, his father was a Gentile. But the more they learned about Timothy, they they found that it was his mom and his grandmother, Eunice and Lois, who probably had the biggest impact on his life for the gospel's sake. And Timothy decided, uh, when Paul and Silas came to Lystra, he said, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go on the second missionary journey. So he went with them. And we know that Timothy grew up as a son in the faith to Paul for many, many years. The Bible says that he went on to become a great minister. In fact, he served as pastor at the church there in Ephesus. In fact, Timothy had such a good reputation That in Philippians, the Apostle Paul said of Timothy, I have no one like him who will genuinely be, or excuse me, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Listen, Timothy was a young man, but he used his gifts and talents for the Lord. Now, friends, as we review these three missionaries, what are some takeaways? What are, what's some 
areas of application for you and for me as we consider these three missionaries. Very briefly, I want you to consider these. First of all, Paul. When you think about Paul, I want you to take away from, from Paul this, that God is powerful and full of grace. When, friends, when we think about Saul, who became Paul, when we think about Saul, we think about a person who absolutely hated Christianity, who despised Jesus and those who followed Jesus. In fact, he wanted to persecute, yes, even kill Christians. We saw that. Acts chapter 7, when he was consenting to the death of Stephen. And he was on his way to persecute Christians in Acts 9. But friends, our God is so powerful that he took a man whose heart was so hard towards God and he turned it into this soft, beating heart of flesh. From a heart of stone to a heart of beating flesh, God changed his heart. And the Lord Jesus brought Saul to himself And he became a believer, and he became the Apostle Paul. He was humbled by God, and he learned to love God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind. Do you see the grace that was given to Saul, who became Paul? Do you see the power of God in his life? So how would that apply? Friends, maybe you have a friend or a family member, much like the Apostle Paul, and you say... um, you know, or excuse me, much like Saul, not Paul, much like Saul in that this person is hard towards God, hates God, has nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say to yourself, my friend, my loved one, he or she can never get saved. He has no hope. Uh, His heart is so hard towards God. There's no hope for this person. Friends, I want you to remember the example of Saul who became Paul. I want you to remember, more importantly, the God who is so powerful and so full of grace that he is able to take a person like Saul and bring him to faith in Jesus Christ. God is so powerful and so full of grace, he could do that for your friends. So my encouragement to you, keep praying for that person. Keep witnessing to that person and pray to the Lord, Lord, would you have the same uh, grace on my friend, on my loved one as you did for Saul who became Paul. But secondly, think about Silas. You know, Silas is the example of faithfulness, commitment, dependability, someone who perseveres in the midst of trial, someone who encourages people who need a word of encouragement. He's absolutely courageous. As Acts says, he risked his life for Jesus. Friends, Silas is someone certainly to be modeled. Maybe we can ask ourselves these questions. You know, first of all, do we have the same readiness that Silas has? You know, when Paul needed someone to go on a mission trip with him, Silas was ready. He raised his hand and said, I'll go. I know it's going to be hard. I know we're going to have to suffer great things, but I'm ready. I'm going to go. Saul, or excuse me, Silas was ready to encourage as he did after the Jerusalem council and encouraged that church over in Antioch. Everybody, friends, needs encouragement. You know, my player, 
football player, Troy, he needed it. The Apostle Paul, he needed it. The church at Antioch needs it. And friends, everybody in this church too needs encouragement. So maybe be like Silas in this. Are you ready to be an encourager in the faith? Um, Who knows what impact that you might have for the gospel because you encourage someone else in their faith. But then look at number three, look at Timothy. And if you're out there listening and you are a youth, you're a young person, I want you to listen up very closely because Timothy was a young man. But he did not let his age deter him or distract him from being an example for Jesus. In fact, in fact, uh, Paul told him, Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example right now in speech and life and love and faith and purity. Don't wait till you're older. Right now, be an example. And that's exactly what Timothy did. He became Paul's apprentice. He endured those trials with him. And he learned how to be a witness for Jesus, even how to be a pastor. If you're young in, the, in your age, Do not let that deter you from serving Christ with your whole heart right now. Don't wait till you're older. See the example of Timothy and serve the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. Well, friends, let's move on to this second point, and that involves that the church is in God. Look at verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, it says, "...to the church of the Thessalonians..." in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, I want you to know that the church is in God the Father. So let's go back and maybe recognize what Paul is saying to this original reading audience here at Thessalonica. He's saying this, Listen, dear Thessalonians, even though you have been completely rejected by the people in Thessalonica. You have been accepted by God in Christ. Even though you have been persecuted by the people in Thessalonica, dear friend, please know that God is your hiding place. He is your refuge. He is your very present help in trouble. Therefore, do not fear. Know that God is your fortress, your high tower. You are in his mighty grip, and he will never, ever let you go. That's what it means, friends, to be in God. But it also, in this text, says that you're not only in the Father, but you're in the Son. You're in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how is the church in Christ? Maybe there's no better explanation of that than 1 Corinthians 12. That text says that the church is the body of Christ. Think about this. It says that Christ is the head, but the church is his body. That as a member of Christ's church, we are his hands, his feet. Uh, We are completely united to Christ, who is the head of the body. The church makes up all the parts of the body. So if you're connected to Jesus, listen, you are like a sheep and he is your shepherd. And as a believer... The Bible says that you and I have lived with Christ, died with Christ. We've even been raised with Christ. Think about this. This this message had to be so encouraging to these 
Thessalonians, they were under great persecution. Can you think about maybe what Jason thought if, if, if he heard this message? Um, if he heard this message, you know, while being brought out into the street and being persecuted and, and robbed, this message from Paul, be encouraged because even though you're persecuted here, you are in God, you are in Christ, you are safe, God is your refuge. How encouraging, friends, is that? And friend, I want you to know that you can have the same encouragement that these Thessalonians had that Paul gave to them. Because in this world, even though you might be attacked or persecuted for your faith, you and I can say along with the psalmist, I dwell in the shelter of the Most High. I abide in the shadow of the Almighty. God is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Dear church, know that you are in God and in His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this brings us to our third and final point today. The grace and peace of God. The last phrase, phrase of this verse says, Grace to you and peace. So as we talk about the grace of God, I want to read to you a quote from Richard Phillips about grace. It says, Grace is often defined as God's unmerited favor. This is true, but it does not go far enough. Grace is God's favor to us when we have merited His condemnation. We have earned God's wrath, yet He causes us to be forgiven and makes us His precious children. God gives, God gives that which is most precious to Himself, His only Son, that, we might, that He might remove our guilt on the cross, reconciling us to His love. The measure of God's grace is the costliness of His gift. And in the giving of Jesus to die for our sins, God has shown himself to abound in grace for sinners. Wow, what a quote. I want to point out two things about this quote as we talk about the grace of God. First of all, I want to point out Philip's comment that we have merited God's condemnation. Friends, think about Romans 6.23. It says that the wages of sin is death. Now, Paul uses a very interesting illustration in that verse when he talks about wages. Think about wages for a moment, maybe in your own life. Think about the first job you ever had and getting that first paycheck. I bet you were so excited to get your wages. You had put in your time, and yes, you were given this check, wages, Wow, that's a great thing. That's a helpful thing to have money to be put in the bank. Wages. But Paul takes this example that normally has a, a good connotation, and he flips it on its head to become a, a somewhat negative view of wages because this text says that the wages of sin is death. That means that all the time that you and I put in, in sinning against God, that that earns something. And it's not a good paycheck. It's a bad paycheck. It's death, which means physical death, eternal death in a place called hell. So friends, we see that through our sin, we actually merit 
condemnation. We merit physical and spiritual death. But this is where we see the good news of grace. Because in grace, the measure of God's grace is the costliness of the gift. Let's finish Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do we see that God did not spare His greatest gift? His greatest gift to you and to me is His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He did not keep Jesus from us, but He gave us His most costly, His most precious gift. And He gave, us up, gave Jesus up for us all. Dr. Kelly once said it this way, that, uh, that God went further than Abraham. Think about that. You know, Abraham was called to sacrifice his son, Isaac, on the altar. And Abraham took him in that 22nd chapter of Genesis, bound Isaac, put him on the altar, and, and raised the knife to kill his son. But in that moment, God stopped him and said, Abraham, don't kill your son. In fact, remove him from that altar. And there's a ram over here caught in the thicket. Go get the ram and bring it in and put it on the altar and sacrifice this ram instead of your son. You see, though Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, God didn't have him do that. God removed his son and put in the substitute of this ram in the Old Testament. Now we know what that's pointing towards. It's pointing towards the cross where Isaac represents the church and the ram represents the Lord Jesus Christ. For see, when you and I, like Isaac, had earned the condemnation, earned the knife getting ready to come down on us, God says, stop, the church needs to be removed. And my grace, through my only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, He needs to come in and be put in your place. You see, the measure of God's grace is the costliness of the gift. In Christ, the Son of God, the most costly thing God had, was given for you and for me on the cross. So we have God's grace in Christ. But I want you to know that God's grace, it leads to the second word, peace. It's been said that God's grace invites you to dwell in His heavenly peace. In Bethlehem, the angels announced... Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those whom He is pleased. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Paul said, since we've been justified by, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, the greatest need that you and I have is to be at peace with God. The Bible says that God is a consuming fire. And you don't want to live your life in such a way that you are not at peace with God. And the Bible says to you today that because of His grace, you can have peace. Because of what Jesus has done for you, the costliness of the gift, you can have peace with God. You can be reconciled to God through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, friends, as we conclude the sermon this morning, I want to challenge you. Go ahead and read through this whole book, 1 Thessalonians. 
And I want to challenge you to see how many times you come across the word encourage, exhort, establish, and comfort, because this really is a book about encouragement. And I want you to remember, everybody needs encouragement. Even the biggest, greatest, strongest player on the team. Troy needed it. Paul needed it. The church at Thessalonica needs encouragement. You and I need it as well. And I want you to see in this book how Paul was encouraged in chapter 3, how he used that encouragement to encourage the lives of the Thessalonians in the rest of the book. And today, friends, I also hope that you will receive encouragement from this sermon. Listen, this world is out to persecute you because you are part of Christ's church. But be encouraged while you may be rejected, while you may be persecuted by this world. You, as a member of the church, are in God and in Christ. You can say with the psalmist, I dwell in the shelter of the Most High. And not only that, but as a member of his church, you have God's grace and his peace. While we merited God's condemnation, God gave us his most costly gift in his son that we might have his grace and dwell in peace. And as you receive this encouragement today, I want to exhort you, as Paul does throughout this whole book, I want, you to, I want to exhort you to be in the business of encouraging other people. Listen, Paul uses this book to encourage the Thessalonians. Silas used his gifts to encourage the church in Antioch when he came from the Jerusalem Council. Timothy used his gifts to encourage the church at Ephesus. Friends, do you know that the encouragement that Paul received led him to write the book that we're reading and studying today? Who knows how your encouragement to someone else might benefit that person so that he or she would continue to serve the Lord with so much passion and with so much zeal. Let's be in the business of encouragement. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book of encouragement. We know we talked about so many things today, Lord. Help us to ponder and think through these things uh, this Lord's day. And I pray for this congregation that they would be encouraged by this word. And not only that, but they they would go out and encourage one another um, as you have taught us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.